0: I am from Asia and my style of preaching is a thousand percent different from Kyle's. We are more bombastic, Uh, I I could go on and on with differences. So don't expect a Kylic message. The other way I am a thousand percent different from Kyle is this, I will never look good in a black T-shirt. I joked with somebody here a couple of weeks ago saying, has he taken an oath only to wear black t-shirts on Sundays? I'm going to pray that one day I'll see him in a shirt. Well, no, I'm joking. And I know Kyle is listening or watching somewhere. Sorry, Kyle. But uh, it's going to be different today. I asked uh, Orion to distribute those notes because I didn't get anything in time to Kate, who left on Wednesday. I joked with Kate also. I said, are you leaving because I'm preaching? I know Kate pretty well. <laughs> and she said, no. But uh, I didn't know you were going to have any kind of projection other than the music Orion. And so these are, this is not an outline. And don't read the end first, then you could leave. Uh, uh, these are seed thoughts. I rarely use a full outline. And in India, most of the time, it's uh, Not ad lib, but without notes, because that's the way I was taught, and that was the way I I grew up. So the topic today, as some of you heard, was assigned by Kyle. He's talking on the rhythms of Jesus. Nice title. And uh, he gave me the option of talking on worship or service. My initial preparation was to combine the two because I firmly believe that they are related. But then I decided that uh, we actually preach long sermons, Asian style. But don't worry, you'll get out in time for Joppa. And uh, uh, if I was going to combine worship and service, it'll be extra long. So today I'm talking about, on that theme of rhythms of Jesus, but focusing more on service. Uh, Last week, Christy did a really great job on the word, and as I told her a little while ago, we actually need, uh, if I could dare to say this, forgive me, Gateway needs a lot more of those foundational sermons. Join me as I pray. Father God, you know how I've thought about this, you know how I've prayed about this, you know how i prepared about this. But now I hand it over to you, O oh Father. Take the message, do what you want with it. And use me as you see fit. My voice, my tongue, my brains, my education. Everything, Lord, I pray that you will use it as I always pray. In the way that you believe it's to be used and... I pray with the psalmist that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together this beautiful day would be more acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. One other little thing uh, uh, about the message today is I might ask, not anybody in particular, I might say, could somebody read that scripture? That's our style where I come from. It brings forth a lot of participation. That's one. And it helps me. Because the lighting here is not, you know, it's a theater. And so we don't expect blazing lights. So if I have a little problem reading, and I, I, I got this Bible at half price, but it's a very, very, very small print, but I love it, so I'm still using it. So if I ask you to read, please help me. And in that context, uh, uh, the first one I might ask you to read is John 15, four to seven. Not yet, if I ask. But beginning on this, the rhythms of Jesus, It's as Christy also said last week, it's just more than just rules. It's not just like a law or a commandment. I like to envision it as ripples. You throw a pebble into a pond All around, you know, in other words, it's inevitable. Because of that core where the pebble went in, because of that center, the ripples come. No other reason. I'm not talking about waves and currents and so on. I'm talking about you stand on a a, a still pond and you flip a, a brick into it and immediately, all the way to the show, the ripples come. And the rhythms of Jesus are just like that. Inevitable. If Jesus is the core of your life, if Jesus is our very existence and our reason for existence, if Jesus is our, I like this word, our essence of being, and he should be, then it is obvious, it's logical, that there should be ripples flowing out from our life if Christ abides in us. If we are, common word used in the scriptures, Christ-like. But what does abiding in us mean? Well, uh, if you want to read uh, somebody uh, uh, 14, uh, or rather, John 15, 4 to 7, that'll help me. Uh, If I've got it, well, I've got it, so I'll read it first. Uh, John... um, uh, 15, four to seven, listen to these words. Just one verse I'll read. Verse seven says this. Really having a hard time here. Those who remain in, I am the vine, you are the branches. That's five I think. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from uh, me, you can do nothing. Verse 7 says, this is what I wanted. If you remain in me, and my, rever- my words remain in you, you may ask for what you want, etc., etc., it'll be granted. But I hope you could see the juxtaposition of that uh, statement, in me, that little two-word phrase or clause. It is not that it's just Christ in me to create these rhythms or these ripples or whatever you uh, want to call it. It goes hand in hand with me in Christ. Very plain and simple and logical that the God, creator, Lord my Bible always calls him Lord of the armies of heaven where it says the Lord of hosts, my Bible translates, I love it. Lord of the mighty armies of heaven. In creation God in love created man in his image, and that image has a whole bunch of stuff. Personality and uh, and, uh, 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 the ability to know between right and wrong, moral sense of righteousness and uh, desire to worship, rationality, all of that. And in that, God gave man free choice. Oh, we're hearing so much about freedom today. And God made man with a free choice. You can choose, Adam. That's Adam, of course. You can choose, Eve. I love you. And therefore, I'm not making you robotic. That's why I'm not putting Windows 10 in you. That is why I'm not operating you like a puppet. I love you. I give you the freedom to choose. With my recommendation, you choose me. And that was carried down the corridors of time, some men chose God, some men rejected God, Adam and Eve in the beginning rejected God, till it came to Christ. And Christ came to die for us, yet he does not force himself into our lives. That free choice comes into play. And Christ abides in us, that's what I just read, John 14. 15, I guess I was reading the wrong thing. Anyhow, Christ abides in us if we allow him to abide in us. It's mutual. Remember what revelations, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, I'm not going to push that door open. <coughs> if any man hears my voice and opens the door for me, I will come in. So Christ abiding in us is not something that's automatic. We are involved in that, and He abides in us. Of course, you know how through the Holy Spirit. A verse that we don't often use: Acts chapter five, verse thirty-two. I'll just quote a lot of the scriptures. Acts five thirty-two tells us that God gives His Holy Spirit to those who obey Him. Acts two thirty-eight. Many people haven't even heard of the scripture. It says that those who repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And listen to another verse which is one of my absolute favorites, quoting it of course, Romans chapter 6 verse 4 which tells us that by baptism we are buried into him, into his death. I have a sermon I have not yet preached on called The Prepositions of Baptism. And we rise with him. And the next verse says, we are united with him. I know the word uh, 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 mystic or mystical raises a lot of suspicion. I don't have a problem with it. I don't understand it. It's mystical to me. It's a mystery to me. But my Romans book says, chapter 6, verse 4, I have been united with Christ because I obeyed him. I obeyed him. I'm united with him. Hard to understand, but it is a spiritual reality. Once we fathom it, it's going to transform our lives. Because obeying him, uniting with him, he comes to live in us. And that's what the meaning of the word abide is. Very, very simply, it means to live in. To take up residence, to dwell in us. And what an amazing reality this is. I preached on this in Chicago just a few weeks ago. What an amazing reality. Now get this now. Christ in me means God in me, right? Absolutely. Hey, look. Look at me, look at my profile. I don't know what you see, but I have God in me. You have God in you, you have God in you. If you have obeyed him, What does it make you, Josh? It makes you a God-man. We don't use this terminology. But we are God-people, God-man, man-god. Why? God is in me. You can't disprove that. Well, that's what we're talking about, Christ abiding in us, dwelling in us, living in us, residence in us. Naturally, then, the ripples will flow out. It's a grand, grand thought that I'm not an ordinary person. I'm not just Indian. I'm not just colored. I'm not just third world. I'm not just preacher. I'm not just evangelist. I am Leonard W. Thompson, God man. And I praise God for that privilege. But um, let's move on. When Christ lives in us, the rhythms of Jesus, I've said this already, flow from us contact with the Father is one, prayer, the word, worship, so on, and now service. Now, in the context of this series that Kyle is focusing on, service is and was, of course, one of the rhythms of Jesus' lifestyle, but a little bit of, uh, I've used the word confusion, but it's not really confusion, a little bit of, yeah, Inadequacy in that, and what do I mean by that? Now get this, was service part of Jesus' lifestyle that we are talking about so we could imitate him since he abides in us? Mm, Yes, part of his earthly rhythms. But no, it was more, it was much, much more. Service for Jesus or service by Jesus, if you want to be more uh, uh, careful, was also part of his whole being on earth as son of man. His whole incarnation was a service. The Bible says, and I'm going to uh, um, just quote it, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus came to serve and give his life as a ransom. Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did he take on humanity's form? Why did he take on all the deprivations and the distresses and the problems of human living? Why did he walk the dusty roads of Capernaum or Jerusalem? Why did he allow people to spit on him? Why did he allow people to crucify him, nailing him to the cross and crying out in absolute agony, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He was serving us. He was serving us. That's what the whole incarnation about is about. The incarnate Christ is a serving Christ. They go together. Not just the rhythm flowing out from Jesus. No, it is Jesus in a way. The Bible says this: He came to serve. And what was the service? Ransom. So it's much, much more than that. I could go further and talk about our God being a serving God, starting with God Garden of Eden, and we leave all that theology aside. Now, therefore, having Christ abide in us, and we in him, don't forget, it must go together. It must go together. Christ in me, I in Christ. Having Christ abide in us and we in him, we must also have this whole life of ours a life of service. But again, what does that mean? Service simply means simply providing help for somebody else, relief. Sometimes it's even for ourselves so popular today self service. But serving like Christ means providing some kind of action or help or relief or giving aid or giving assistance, but to whom? Jesus came to serve us, who do we serve? The church? In general, mankind, of course. But to answer that a little bit more carefully, I'll ask another question. Oh, does God want us to serve him? Uh, Deuteronomy answers that question, paraphrasing it. I said I'm going to ask you to read, I'm just going to paraphrase. Trust me, I'm not cheating on you. In Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 to 13, the question is asked, and what does God expect of us to fear him? obey him and then it says to serve him with all our heart and with all our mind and some extend that to all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. To serve him, yes, so God wants us to serve him. So when God tells us that we are to serve him, now get it now. What was my question? Whom do we serve? Deuteronomy says we serve him. That's definitely biblical. But that raises another question, a lot of questions in my uh, message today. Hold on now, hold on. Leonard Thompson, serve him. The Lord of the mighty armies of heaven. The Lord of the universe, sovereign creator, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, What on earth can I do for him? Or what on earth do you think you could do for him? He doesn't need our help. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. Hey, look, he created us out of the dust of the earth. Hold on. But before the dust of the earth, there was nothing. So he created the dust and then he created man. And we have the audacity to say, Lord, I'm going to serve you. One of my friends will use a strong word here, and he's a preacher. I'm going to use it, don't misunderstand me, don't link it with me. But one of my friends, a good preacher, who also happens to be called Josh, so many Joshes, and uh, uh, he would say things like this. What on? Never mind, let me leave the language alone. (laughs) It's, It's a little too strong. But the question is this, what on earth can I do for this great God? Am I not me? Am I not being a little presumptuous and saying, you know, God has called me to serve him. You know why? Because I studied at Wheaton College in Cincinnati and Pasadena. You know why? Because I've been to 31 countries and preached in 27. You know why? And I'm not boasting. Last month, a famous boxer didn't show up in Chicago and they gave me four hours to take his place. Manny Pacquiao, he was the speaker. No, what can I do for this lord of the mighty armies of heaven? We cannot improve on his creation. Man is trying so hard to do so. We play God, but we cannot uh, uh, fully control nature, though we try and are doing pretty well with it, actually. But have you noticed how a hurricane will blow into Florida? And everybody boards up, and overnight the hurricane changes its mind. You know what I'm talking about, and goes, no matter what we do to discover all of this, we cannot control nature. All our forest fires in California this week, prevention measures are made to prevent them next year. What do the forest fires do? Go somewhere else next year. We really cannot control nature. All our discoveries and all our inventions are nothing more than finding out God's natural laws and using these natural laws for our benefits. My daughter lives in Dayton. They call it the home of uh, flight. But when the Wright brothers and even others before them going all the way back to Leonardo da Vinci, when they began to think about man flying, what helped them? Newton's three laws of motion. That was the beginning of thinking about flying. And where did Newton get these laws from? God had created them. These laws are there. We are just finding them out one by one and utilizing them for our benefit just as God wanted. Back to flight, the theories of aerodynamics. They were there from creation. But man only now discovered them about a century ago and so we have our great big boeings or whatever you call it, flying or even going further into space. Those two guys didn't it. Did it recently, you know, they had the money to do it. But the point I'm making is this, what can we if discover God's laws, yes, but more than that, what can we do for God? Theologically speaking, He does not need us. But practically speaking, there's something else that comes in. What does it mean to serve God? And here's a great quotation echoing my own beliefs and thoughts. Listen to this. Serving God is a demonstration of your love for him through your loving service to others. Serving God is because of my love for Him. It's a demonstration of my love for Him. But I could only demonstrate that love to God not by bending the knees and not by saying, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And I'm not making fun of anybody. Or by fasting, and I believe very strongly in the discipline of fasting, or even the discipline of silence, etc., etc., etc. But that does not necessarily demonstrate my love for him. My demonstration of love for God and serving him, serving him, can only come, you may not like the word only, but I'm using it because I believe in it, can only come when I lovingly serve others. And so I say, kind of the heart of the message, the core of the message, Loving God and loving your neighbor is the essence of serving God. You are not serving God if you are not serving others. A whole um, parable on this, great one called the Parable of the Good Samaritan, In that context, we get these words. I'm going to paraphrase the whole passage. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and conjunction. When I got married, my wife died five years ago. Tomorrow's her burial day. When I got married, I was no longer Leonard Thompson. It was always, for 48 years, Leonard and Tom, Pam Thompson. Oh, ho, 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 there's that conjunction that you don't like it. In today's modern world, in marriages, we don't like that conjunction and. My grammar teacher told me when you have an and, it doesn't separate anything. And Jesus said it this way, which was first quoted in the Garden of Eden by God Himself. Well, not in the Garden of Eden. What God had joined together and man cannot put asunder. I go with scripture, nothing else. So when Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor, you cannot separate them. But how did this all begin? A lawyer came to Jesus. Remember lawyer, PhD maybe, maybe legal law, I'm not sure. Came to Jesus and asked him, Master, rabbi, teacher. Now, notice the question now. There are versions of this uh, statement, love God and love your neighbor elsewhere, once the Pharisees tried to trick him, once a rich man came to him. But here it's a lawyer who came with a question, what must I do, get the question clearly, what must I do for eternal life? And Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now now look at this. How do I attain eternal life? In this passage, Jesus says, love God. Obey him, of course. And that includes loving your neighbor. Love God wholeheartedly, totally. Now, now, Now get back now. Isn't this what Deuteronomy said about serving God? With your whole heart and your spirit and your soul and your mind, adding on a few. That was in Deuteronomy. But here Jesus has taken that and taken out the word serve and used the word love. You get the beauty of the scriptures here? Deuteronomy says serve him with all your being. Jesus says love him with all your being. And then adds on, love your neighbor in the same way as you love yourself. I was telling somebody a little while ago, one of my professors gave a free translation, love your neighbor in spite of yourself. But I want you to know that our eternity, now get this straight now and I don't apologize. Our eternity is affected by our love for God and for our neighbor, not by the rituals you do only. Now look at the corollary of this. A lot of corollaries in this passage. I'll just use one now. Where, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. You're not, if you don't love your neighbor, you're not loving God. Corollary, logical. No argument with that, come on now. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. But you know whether you're loving your neighbor or not. If you're not loving your neighbor, Sorry, you don't love me, God says. Now this is a loaded statement, and the lawyer kind of perhaps knew what uh, what Jesus was trying to say. Jesus was connecting loving God and worshiping God with service to others, and so he comes back with another question. Not my question, the lawyer's question. But Lord, Rabbi, Who is my neighbor? Now hold on, this was a Jewish guy. This was the guy who probably went to the temple. He was a lawyer. This was the guy who probably did all the rituals of the Passover. He probably washed his hands before meals and gargled his throat. He probably kept away from pork loin. This was a Jew asking Jesus the question and Jesus gave him this parable ho 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 listen to this he says there was a man a Jew going from Jerusalem to Jericho no time to elaborate on all of that on the way he was waylaid by thieves by thugs by unkempt people who didn't go out and get a job who made their living cashing in on others. You know them, don't you? They waylaid this young man, I presume he was young, beat him up, left him bleeding and dying. Jesus' story. And Jesus said a priest went by, crossed the other side, I've got to go to the temple. If I touch him, I become unclean. I can't do what needs to be done. A Levite comes by, and he hurries on his way. He's got to preach a sermon, see? I'll leave those two guys alone. But then a Samaritan comes, a hated Samaritan comes, and he says, hold on, hold on, let me see what's happening. I see a bleeding man. And he has a donkey with him probably not riding it, loaded with stuff for this journey, probably a tradesman, a traveling salesman. And he stoops down. And he gets his hands dirty with the blood. And the blood mixes with the dust. And he turns him over. Shock. He doesn't look like I look. He's got a different nose. Turn him over. He's wearing a mask. (laughs) Hold on, hold on. But then the Samaritan flips him the other side. He's not wearing a mask, after all. What do I do? I don't think he belongs to my party. He's a guy that I despise and I hate and I follow the proverb, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. My brethren, I want you to realize Jesus' pointed parable. Now this is Jesus, not Leonard Thompson. The pointed parable was that loving God and loving others leads to service to others And the example of service that Jesus gave was to those who were not liked, who were despised, who were not like you and me. And I gave some rather harsh examples, but I've been experiencing it. Hey, look, I've got a colored face. And Jesus said, that Kind of service is what I'm really looking for. The service to the people you despise, the people who do not look like you, the people who don't think like you, the people who don't vote like you, the people who don't dress like you. And I have found them all over Des Moines. (laughs) Oh, and I've heard the criticisms. I taught at Ozark Christian College in Joplin as adjunct professor for 10 years, and the local paper had this interview with a homeless man. Of course, of course, war veteran in Vietnam, of course. I came to this country during Vietnam. And the interviewer said, you stand at the corner of the road and you put your hand out for money. He said, but if I gave you $10, you would go out and buy a bottle and drink. And a homeless man veteran said, of course I will drink. He says, you know why? Look at that building that has no doors and no windows. It's abandoned. That's where I live. Go in there and see the newspapers and the cardboard I sleep on. And in the bitter winter, while you are in a heated car, I'm covering up with those blankets and the only way I go to sleep is with drink. You don't want to give it to me, don't give it to me. But don't judge me. You don't know what trauma I've been through on the battlefield. You don't know how I felt when I fought and got through all of this and gained nothing by it. Don't judge me. Those are the people Jesus... Now, forget, you might say, oh, Leonard Thompson, you're going too far. I am not. Jesus said it. Love God, love your neighbor, and who is my neighbor? That despised person. Remember, the question was asked not by Leonard Thompson, it was asked by the lawyer. Who is my neighbor? That dirty man on the street, covered with blood and dust. Notice the beauty of this parable. It's not a Jew with his law and everything, helping the Samaritan. It's a Samaritan who didn't know God helping. And the story goes on. He took his food and used it as medicine. He put him on the donkey. He went there. And he also provided future care for the generations to come, in my words. Not just for the now and the temper. He told the innkeeper, whatever expenses there are, don't worry. When I'm coming back next month, next year, I will pay for it because the program has to go on. And what program? Helping our neighbors. And who is my neighbor? He's sitting out there at the corner today. Now, Jesus always connected service with helping others. This is not a one time parable. Jesus told the story of how a man comes to the altar with his sacrifice, with his gift, with his offering. And the priest tells him, You can't give this. Why? You're having a problem with your brother. Go and settle that problem and come. Meaning, your offerings and your sacrifices and your goody goodies are of no help unless you could reconcile and show love for that neighbor. Love and forgiveness. Incidentally, if you want to know where that is, that's Matthew chapter 5. Don't come with gifts and sacrifices and talents and worship and praise and words of love if you do not love your neighbor. And if you hate your neighbor, if you've got problems, then set it right. Then come back and worship. Not as in Matthew chapter 5. But better still, Matthew chapter 25, that great account of the end times. Let's limit it to judgment day. And this time in Matthew 25, Jesus uses the uh, metaphorical sheep and goats. Sheep on one hand, nicely dressed, forgive me, and goats on the other hand. We eat a lot of goat meat in India. You don't know what you're missing if you've never tried it. I also like lamb. By the way, I'll be preaching for Australia next Sunday, next Sunday and the next two Sundays. Lord of lamb, There. Anyway, leave that aside, that's food but sheep and goats. And Jesus will tell, paraphrasing it, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the goats, welcome, welcome, come into my paradise, my words, come in. And the sheep say, Lord, what's the difference? And Jesus said, the sheep say, we kept your laws. We went to the temple. We observed the Passover. We took the communion. I said, hallelujah. I did jopper. Sorry. And, and Jesus says, you know these goats, when I was hungry, they fed me. When I was naked, they clothed me. When I was in prison, they visited me. And the sheep say, but Lord, we did not see you in those positions. And yeah, 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 because you sheep are blinded, my words. You sheep are self-centered. You sheep are looking at yourselves. And Jesus says, if you had done these things to the least of my little ones, the most despicable of my creation, the most destitute, the Filthiest of my creation, if you did this to them, you did it to me. That's what the goats did. Jesus always connected love for him and worship for him with service to others. The two cannot be separated. The two go together. That is real service. Now this is the crux of serving God. Not just serving nice people and lovely people, our own people but extending that to even those who we do not identify with, those we do not like or agree with, those whom we hate. Jesus concentrates on helping those kind of people. You know, when we get to heaven, there'll be a lot of people we don't like. I know two missionaries in India were fighting a lot. And a negotiator came in between and he told one of them, he said, you better make peace with them because he's going to be in heaven with you. What are you going to do? <laughs> Serving God in the proper way has eternal significance. Gateway remember, and don't worry, I'm beginning to close now. Remember this. Thy will be done in Des Moines as it is in heaven, and I love that. But in heaven, oh, in heaven, there's no divisions. There's no inequality. There's no politics. Instead, there is full acceptance, full fellowship. And I like this. For me, heaven is also going to mean full camaraderie and enjoyment. And so I'll ask Gateway members. My daughter always tells me, the daughter sitting there, I've got two daughters. She always tells me, Dad, you know Gateway has accepted you as one of them. When I said after today's message, it might change. (laughs) But Gateway members, as we talk about reaching out to others, how far have we gone? I was shocked. Many years ago, a Gateway member and I went for lunch. I was shocked. And I began to talk about reaching out to people in Des Moines. I, ta- I started talking about real missions. And he said, you see, Leonard, he said, we're a small church. We need to grow first. We need to expand ourselves first. When we become strong and when we are grown, then we'll reach out to others. Fallacy, Tina, older than Karen. And Karen gets born, and I tell her, see, Karen, I can't send you to school till I send Tita to school and college and everything. Then I'll start on you. (laughs) What a fallacy to think that we need to grow first. I have been in the ministry for over half a century, for over 60 years. And I've been in mega churches in the 50s where the Crusader Street Church of Christ was over a thousand members in the 60s. And in all my experience, I tell you this, the church that looks beyond itself will grow. Look at the mega churches that have died because they didn't look beyond themselves. I repeat what I said, and this is me. In all the years of experience, teaching and preaching and evangelizing, the church that looks beyond itself will grow. And uh, the quotation I gave you, here's a continuation of that. We cannot do all of this on our own. Big orders, loving those we don't like, (laughs) a big uh, suggestion, Take that homeless man into your house and give him that spare room. Somebody said about the Hindus in India, you want to convert a Hindu, keep the spare bedroom open because they get thrown out by the family and it has happened. That's reaching out. And so the quotation continues, all service to God is accomplished to the power which he supplies. All this service to God, demonstrating our service by love for others can only be accomplished through the power which he supplies and therefore binds us together with him. Oh, that means full circle. Demonstrate us love for God by serving others. He helped us accomplish it, and when we accomplish it, he abides in us more. Full circle. We abide in him, for he abides in us because we love him and have obeyed him and we seek with his help to be Christ-like, and that leads us to serving others through him who abides on us. So I ask myself this, am I truly serving God? Or are we playing church and faith? Is this merely a drama in religion? Love God, love your neighbor, serve your neighbor, and serve God by his spirit it can be done and here's my promise as I close and get into the communion and I'm going to ask you to take up the bread together when I say let's take up the bread etc let me say this as my last statement love God love your neighbor serve your neighbor serve God By his spirit, it can be done. Last word, and it will change gateway.